please be seated. Turn with me now to Joel chapter 3. Joel chapter 3. It's on your large print sheets, but if you're using a pew Bible, you will find this on page 1235 and continuing on to 1236. Joel chapter 3, starting in verse, or starting in uh, verse 1, and continuing through to verse 21, the end of the chapter. Joel chapter 3. Page 1235 and page 1236. My friends, hear now the very word of God. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. They have also divided up my land. They have cast lots for my people, have given a boy as payment for a harlot, sold a girl for wine that they may drink. Indeed, what have you to do with me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all the coasts of Philistia? Will you retaliate against me? But if you retaliate against me swiftly and speedily, I will return your retaliation upon your own head. Because you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried into your temples my prized possessions. Also the people of Judah and the people of Jerusalem you have sold to the Greeks, that you may remove them far from their borders. Behold, I will raise them out of the place to which you have sold them and will return your retaliation upon your own head. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the people of Judah. They will sell them to the Sabaeans, to a people far off. For the Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble and come, all you nations. And gather together all around. Cause your mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. Let the nations be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down. For the winepress is full, the vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. 
The sun and moon will grow dark and the stars will diminish their brightness. The Lord also will roar from Zion and utter His voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for His people and the strength of the children of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then Jerusalem shall be holy, and no alien shall ever pass through her again. And it will come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drip with new wine. The hills shall flow with milk. And all the brooks of Judah shall be flooded with water. A fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Acacias. Egypt shall be a desolation, and Edom a desolate wilderness, because of violence against the people of Judah, for they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall abide forever, and from generation to generation, for I will acquit them of the guilt of bloodshed, whom I had not acquitted, for the Lord dwells in Zion. And my friends, beloved people of God, today we look at Joel 3. This is the first of two, a two-part uh, series on Joel 3 with this theme. The Lord promises vindication of God's people in the midst of the certain judgment of all the nations in the valley of decision. The prophet promises vindication of God's people amidst the certain judgment of all the nations in the valley of decision. Now we all like to know that there will be a good ending to a story. I use the word story with caution lest it seem that I am thereby indicating a fairy tale. Though the Bible is not filled with fairy tales. But it does, as a piece of literature, tell a story, does it not? And in point of fact, it is important to note that the Bible is couched in historical terms. Thus there is, we could say, texture to the biblical message. And of course, not only in terms of his, uh, history, but in terms of the end of history, which is what we see portrayed here in Joel chapter 3. And my friends, today, as the people of God, let me say to you, we can be confident that the story ends well. Through all of the pronouncements of judgment, through all of the harsh denunciations and condemnations of sin, God's elect shall be saved and shall be vindicated. I'm going to be focusing on that aspect more next week, Lord willing, but it's all part of the story whereby the, the ones that are rejected by God are the ones that are subject to his judgment and condemnation at the same time that God vindicates those 
whose lives have been bought with the blood of Christ. Now we've already considered in Joel, of course, that in chapter 1, that the locusts are coming. The locusts are coming. And then in chapter 2, the need for heartfelt repentance, not superficial sorrow. Heart, rend your hearts, tear your hearts, not your garments. It's got to be an inner repentance, not one that is simply what you say, what you profess. It's got to be real, heartfelt repentance, not superficial sorrow, as God is calling his people to repentance. And then at the end, of we looked at last week, dreaming dreams and seeing visions. And that sort of sets up where we are today, including this very important thing that we'll also be looking at more next week, Lord willing, as well. And that is that when the Bible here in Joel 3 is talking about Israel, Judah, Jerusalem, this is more a focus on the people of God of whatever ethnicity. Because you remember back in chapter 2, what does God say? Verse 28, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And that's fulfilled in the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, in which people from with all different tongues and, and by extension all different tribes, all different ethnicities are having the word of God preached to them. And so, although nations are important in scripture, obviously, in terms of history, yet many times the Bible will use the nations, or especially, let's say, use the nation of Israel as a symbol for all the people of God, whether Jew or Gentile. Well, with that as a, as a background then, let's look at the first two points today, uh, today in terms of Joel chapter 3. The first thing that we see is the complaint against the nations. The complaint against the nations. Now, who is in view? Well, we have particular nations mentioned here. And again, this is holding up examples for us. In verse 4, Tyre and Sidon. Now, Tyre, T-Y-R-E, was a trading and commercial city on the Mediterranean. The city-state of Tyre, and then Sidon, which is affiliated with Tyre, and then all the coast of Philistia, or we could say the coast of the area called Palestine, and so, but you know, the Philistia, where the Philistines were. Remember children? You remember David and Goliath? Right? Okay? And so, these are, this is a picture then of these mighty nations in terms of commercial activities, in terms of physical strength, trading, and so forth, money, perhaps, and so on. And not only that, but you'll notice in verse 19, that's verse 4, in verse 19, we read about Egypt and Edom. Egypt, of course, was Israel's ancient enemy. You remember 
the children of Israel were in captivity in Egypt, and the exodus was a picture of salvation coming out of sin, and then also Edom or Esau. And uh, so Jacob and Esau, you remember the twin brothers? Jacob is the one that God had chosen. Esau is the one that he had rejected. And so close bloodline, and yet one who is in rebellion against God. And so we have these particular nations mentioned here in verses 4 and 19. But then we have more general description. Verse 2, it refers to all nations. I will gather all nations. Verse 10 um, uh, in uh, verse 11, excuse me, assemble and come all you nations, all you heathen. And so what we find here then is that it's all of these people that all the nations of the earth, all nations are in rebellion against the Lord. And what's also interesting is that those who sin a little will also be held responsible for conspiring with the worst offenders. So not just the ones that are close and that would have more interaction and more, more opposition, but to remember in Psalm 2, all the nations gather together and conspire against the Lord and against his anointed. And therefore, these who conspire together will be gathered together by God, all the nations, that is to say, these peoples in rebellion. So, the complaint against the nations, why? Because of the attacks on Israel. Look at verse 2. I will have judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. So, the nations had scattered the people of God. Verse 3, they treated them despicably. They have cast lots for my people. They have given a boy as payment for a harlot and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. Treated them with absolute contempt. And verse 6, sold them into slavery. Also the people of Judah and the people of Jerusalem who sold to the Greeks, that you remove them far from their borders. And so attacks on Israel. But notice it's not just attacks on the people of God, it is attacks on God himself. Verse 5, because you have taken, God says, my silver and my gold and have carried into your temples my prized possessions. So God here is saying, First of all, the people are the apple of my eye. The children, you know, the, like the apple, you know how sensitive we are? We don't want to get anything in our eye, anything attacking our eye, a stick getting poked in our eye. It's not fun, a finger, or whatever, okay? God is saying, my people are as precious as the apple of my eye. But more than that, he's also saying, but it is my glory. Not only am I bound to my people, not only do I love my people and I'm concerned about them, but in point of fact, it is my honor, my glory that is at stake. And I'm going to vindicate that because 
these nations in rebellion against me have treated not just my people with contempt, they have treated me with contempt. And so this is then the complaint against the nations. And now secondly, we see the judgment of the nations, the judgment of the nations. And here we speak of recompense or paying back, if you will. Notice verses 1 and 7. God will bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. I will bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem. Verse 7, Behold, I will raise them out of the place to which you have sold them and will return your retaliation upon your own head. So here we have the idea of a remnant, the remnant of the people of God, we, have, we see here the idea of their having been dispersed, where they had been scattered, the diaspora, where they've been dispersed, if you will, where they've been scattered. But God is saying, I am going to bring back my people, and they're all going to come back into the land. God will recompense. He will turn again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, and he will pay back Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says Lord. He will pay back against them. Verse 4. Will you retaliate against me? But if you retaliate against me swiftly and speedily, I will return your retaliation upon your own head. And verse 8. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the people of Judah. And they will sell them to the Sabaeans, to a people far off, for the Lord has spoken. The Sabaeans were a faraway people, and this then is viewed as just vengeance, just deserts for the previous actions. There's going to be recompense in terms of the judgment of the nations. And of course, it's portrayed here in a certain way, but on the day of judgment, you see, that's exactly what we're going to find, not just historically, but on the day of judgment, that's what God is going to do. He's going to pay back those who have hated him, those who have hated his people, those who have persecuted his people to the point of death, of torture and death. God is saying, I am going to repay to you. It's going to come back upon your own head at hell. So the recompense then... And notice then the call to the seat of judgment. Verse 2, we read, God will plead with the nations on behalf of his people. He says here, my people, on account of my people, and on account of my heritage Israel. You know, God takes delight in those who are his. God takes delight in those who are who are his. Why did he choose us? He chose us because he chose us. And that's why he chose us. Out of his love. Out of his sovereign love. Exodus 19, verse 5. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. 
And by the grace of God, of course, we do keep his law. We do follow his covenant. Deuteronomy 32, verse 9, one of the, the, the song of Moses, for the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. We are the Lord's own inheritance. We inherit what God gives us, but Christ paid the price for us. And we ourselves are, as it were, God's heritage, his inheritance. And so God then will plead with the nations on behalf of his people. These are my people. How dare you do this? And in that regard, there is this call to battle as if to say, do your worst. Look at verse 9. Proclaim this among the nations, prepare for war. Verse 10. Put aside your peaceful endeavors for the field of battle. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Now you probably recognize that terminology from Isaiah where it says the opposite, right? Where it says the nations will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. That is to say from the perspective of the gospel going forth and people from all nations coming to Christ, that the nations then will learn war no more, right? This is the opposite. The nations that are in rebellion against God, God is saying, no, you prepare for war. You think you can do something about me? Prepare for war. Gird up the loins of your battle. Prepare for battle, verse 10. Let the weak say, I am strong. And look at verse 11. Go ahead, God says, put forth a great effort. Assemble together. Assemble and come, all you nations. Not just one nation, but all the nations that are in rebellion against me. You gather together. You assemble together. Do your worst. But notice something interesting. You see here at the end of verse 11? Assemble, gather together all around. Cause your mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. This is sort of an interjection. Who are the mighty ones? They are the angels. And so the angels are involved in the battle. The Lord sends his own mighty angels. And they, not only that, they not only are they involved in the battle, but they summon and compel the otherwise reluctant nations. No, God says, you are coming. You are coming to this battle. And so the call to battle, but then we find the call to the judgment seat. Notice verse 12, where God says, let the nations be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. So come to the throne of judgment. Do you think you're prepared for battle? You're coming before my judgment seat. Notice verse 14. The Lord will render his decision as judge. Now, when it says the valley of Jehoshaphat, this is not necessarily a reference to a particular valley, although as we will see in just a moment, it does 
allude to, it does refer to that king of Judah, and we'll be looking at that in just a moment. But the idea here is is that it is a valley, it is a place where God is going to judge, because that's what Jehoshaphat means, Yahweh judges. Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord, judges. This is the valley of Jehoshaphat. And these criminals then in God's court are going to be tried in the very place where they committed their atrocities. But it is also the place where Jehoshaphat, as we read from 2 Chronicles 20 today, where Jehoshaphat won a wonderful, improbable victory. So it's not just, it's not just Yahweh judges. But by referring back to Jehoshaphat, God is saying, if Jehoshaphat, by my power, is able to win that improbable victory, there's no way that you can stand before me when it is when I am sitting on the throne and you are appearing before me. For I am am all-powerful. I am all-knowing. I am everywhere present. I am going to judge you. He fought, you remember, and as we read today in 2 Chronicles 20, he fought against overwhelming odds. But do you remember what's interesting about it? It was by means of praising the Lord that the victory was won. Isn't that incredible? It was by means of praising the Lord that the victory was won. 2 Chronicles chapter 20 Verse 21, and when he consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord, who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And even so, even so, here at the end of time, in the valley of Jehoshaphat, as it were, the battle will also be wonderful and decisive and it will be in such a way that God will get the glory and the praise for his power and for his judgment and for his justice as he sends people to hell. And here we find that there are multitudes multitudes in the valley of decision. A noisy, boisterous mob boasting of the anticipated victory for themselves. You know, we think of just a few blocks away from here, there's a boisterous mob this afternoon over in the stadium. Thousands and thousands of people Maybe you've been in other events like that, maybe a concert or whatever, and you've been, you've seen thousands and thousands of people. Well, we're talking about millions and billions of people. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. The living and the dead, that is to say those who were alive when Jesus comes back, those who are dead, who are resurrected unto condemnation, 
a great number of people awaiting their doom. But notice, it is not they who make the decision. There was an evangelist in this country who died uh, several years ago who famously or perhaps infamously said, God votes for you, the devil votes against you, and you cast the deciding vote. Well, no, my friends. That has nothing to do with Christianity. We don't live in in terms of God's world. We don't live in a democracy. We live in a kingdom under a king. And God is the one who makes the decision. God is the one who renders the verdict. It's not come to Christ now in the valley of decision. No, no, no. That's not the point here. The point is that these multitudes, multitudes are being subject to God's judgment, God's deciding. God is the one who renders the verdict. God is the one who renders the decision. Yahweh judges, Jehoshaphat. And so it's the call to the judgment seat. And then notice the judgment that is Pronounced. It is because they are ripe for judgment. Verse 13, put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. They are ripe for judgment. And we find this theme in other places, of course, other passages in Scripture. Micah 4, verses 12 and 13. For they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, nor do they understand his counsel. For he will gather them like sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron, I will make your hooves bronze, You shall beat in pieces many peoples. I will consecrate their gain to the Lord and their substance to the Lord of the whole earth. Isaiah chapter 63. Isaiah chapter 63. The first six verses. Isaiah 63 we read, Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? And the answer is, I have trodden the winepress alone. And from the peoples, no one was with me, for I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. I looked, but there was no one to help, and I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore my own arm brought salvation for me, and my own fury, my own anger, Jesus is saying, it sustained me. 
I have trodden down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my fury, and brought down their strength to the earth. And in Revelation chapter 14, we find these things as well. In Revelation chapter 14. In Revelation 14, starting in verse 14. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire. And he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. The judgment, you see, is pronounced because they are ripe for judgment. And so it will be at the end of time. Did you notice the, this language, this what we call apocalyptic language? Verses 15 and 16. The sun and moon will grow dark and the stars will diminish their brightness. The sun and moon will be hidden as it were. Those in heaven will not need the sun. Those in hell will have total darkness. And all of this is by means of the Lord's roaring. The Lord also will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. He is like a lion. For my friends, the Lord Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he will roar like a lion. Some of us may remember the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Remember Aslan? Remember Aslan? The lion is a picture of Christ. Remember Mr. Mr. Beaver? Saying when the children asked, was Aslan safe? And Mr. Beaver says, safe? Of course he ain't safe. But he's good. He's good to his people but he is a terror, like the king of beasts is a terror to those who are in rebellion against him. And so he roars. Verse 19, we see that there will be total desolation, total destruction. Egypt shall be a desolation, and Edom a desolate wilderness, which again is a picture of the total destruction of these people in rebellion against him. So I have two points of application today, my friends. The first is this. Praise 
the Lord for his judgments. Praise the Lord for his judgments. Praise the Lord for his judgments in history. Praise the Lord for his judgments at the end of history. Praise the Lord, even as Jehoshaphat praised the Lord in that improbable victory. And But secondly, are you prepared for the great day of judgment? Are you prepared? Have you repented of your sin and put your trust in Christ? Have you? Do you look forward to Jesus' coming again? Or do you dread it? Are you able to rejoice in God's just judgments as the lion who roars, who does all these amazing things, shaking the heavens and the earth, bringing about judgment and destruction for the wicked, while at the same time, being a shelter for his people and the strength of the children of Israel. Amen. Will you please stand for prayer? And now, our Father, we pray that we might understand more what it means to have a Savior who is a lamb but who is also a lion. And so we thank thee, Father, the earth, and at the end of time as well. And with the saints in all ages, oh God, as we look around the wickedness, look around our society, our nation, our nations, we cry with the saints in every age, even so, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Give us the grace, our Father, to love Thee, to serve Thee, to submit to Thee. Give us the grace, O Lord, to rejoice in Thy judgments. For Christ's sake, in whose name we pray, amen.